Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Bible and Me podcast. Thank you, first of all, to all those people who have subscribed and left us a rating or review. It really helps our podcast grow and reach more people. This episode is hosted by Nigel Watts, and our guest today is John Glenn, Member of Parliament for Salisbury, Wiltshire. The Bible and Me podcast is a series of exciting conversations with men and women of faith, sharing how the Bible has impacted their lives. Well, I'm delighted to welcome John Glenn to the programme today. Um, I noted, John, that you were born on April Fool's Day, but this That's man right. is no fool, I tell you. Well, you'll know perhaps at the end of the interview whether I am or not, but yes, I am, I am an April Fool. Um, <laughs> Although my mother always says I was born eight minutes past one, so it doesn't quite count. <laughs> uh, John is married to Emma, they have two children. Uh, John is Conservative MP of Parliament uh, for Salisbury in Wiltshire and has been so since the general election in May 2010. And he's currently the Minister for Arts, Heritage and Tourism. Uh, John was born in Bath. He was brought up in rural Wiltshire. Um, After being educated in Bath, um, he went on to Oxford University and has degrees from Oxford and King's College London and also an MBA from Cambridge University. And I understand that, uh, John, you were the first person in your family to go to university. Yes, I was. It was a great privilege to go to university, but my mum and dad didn't, and nor did their parents. And you know, I'm very proud of that opportunity yeah. I was given. Um, after graduating from Oxford uh, and uh, being elected uh, as an MP for Salisbury, before sorry, being elected as an MP for Salisbury, worked in a variety of roles in business and in politics. So, John, welcome uh, to the program. Now, there are, there are a huge range of issues that we could talk about. Mm. Um, given the span of your of your role and your interests, but I'm going to start with a question that I ask all our guests, mm. uh, and that is, how did you become a Christian? How did you become a follower of Jesus? Well, thank you for the opportunity to 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 um, meet with you, and I, I I think to answer that question, I have to go back to my family roots. Uh, you you rightly said I grew up in in North Wiltshire in a wonderfully loving home with parents who were devoted uh, to myself and my sister Camilla. Um, very sadly my father died prematurely uh, last year at just 69 which was a big blow to to all of us Um, but my Christian roots though founded in occasional church um, attendance as a child at Easter and Christmas um, really came alive when I was at university through a mission event uh, in my penultimate term at Oxford in February 1996 where John Chapman who was a visiting evangelist from Australia Um, I remember sat in St Ebb's church and he challenged us to answer for ourselves who Jesus was and I think it was at that point that it moved in my mind from being a nominal um, subscription if you like to a set of values uh, with occasional church attendance to something that I wanted to explore further and I committed myself to follow Jesus that night but it wasn't a uh, whiz-bang conversion um, it, it was a decision that I then worked out over the coming years and uh, nearly 22 years later I'm still on that journey wonderful fantastic um, after studying modern history at Oxford University mm. you campaigned in the 1997 uh, general election mm. what what drew you into politics why why politics well my, my dear father took me up to parliament uh, when I was 11 I think in 1985 and I just sort of fell in love with the, the place and the concept of politics and uh, a career as service as a member of parliament 
and that stayed with me you know when you when I was a young uh, you know young teenager and a, a child people asked me what are you going to be you know I either said prime minister or member of parliament <laughs> I'm quite happy to be just a member of parliament and, uh, <laughs> um, and that sort of merged really with my Christian faith and soon after I well I would describe as sort of took that step of following Jesus in in, in 96 I had the opportunity to apply for an internship with a ch- Christian charity care which I did and I remember going for the interview and at the time it was Lyndon Bowering and Charlie Colchester and I said to them look if you want somebody who's all knows how knows this and has this all worked out then perhaps not me because I've only just signed up to this but anyway they appointed me and I were, had a great opportunity what was shared between two MPs Gary Streeter who's still an MP in Devon Southwest and Michael Bates, who's Lord Bates, and now a minister in Diffid, and they remain my closest friends, really, and I have dinner with them regularly in Parliament, and I, I seek their wisdom and advice frequently. Um, and so that 97 election was where I joke that I helped Michael, who was then an MP himself, lose his seat in Middlesbrough, South and East Cleveland. I was pleased that we won it back this year. Um, but that that ninety seven experience really sort of solidified my intentions to seek a career as an MP one day, and uh, though I had a job lined up in management consulting with Anderson Consulting that then became Accenture, and the first day for that was the weekend after Diana died. I remember that was when I started work there. That ninety six seven experience, the last year of John Major's government working for Gary and Michael, was where I really began to sort of see the merger of my Christian faith and my desire to vocation, I would say, Mm. for politics come together. So you really felt, um, are you saying that um, you felt there was a call, uh, a a really strong call um, into politics that came about as a result of your faith or that was Mm. was something that it it came together? um, Well, I think what I'm saying is that I had a pre-existing deep desire to go into politics. Yeah. And when I became a Christian, the opportunity to work as the internship and work with two Christian MPs. And then when I started work to meet a Christian on my first day, who was then very, very helpful, um, Mark Spellman, uh, Caroline Spellman, who's also an MP, her husband, uh, in sort of mentoring me there. You know, I would say life events over those 13 and a half years from graduation to being elected were, you know, the sort of affirmation of that decision earlier on and of course I didn't know until I got to become an MP what the end journey was end point was but um, clearly I mean I just believe God wants the best people in the best places or um, I don't mean I'm the best I mean he wants the right fit and so you know if he wanted me to go to Africa as a missionary he would have made that clear to me but what I see is that through life events before I became an MP even though at times I thought it was hopeless um, and I wasn't going to make it. Um, you know, he, he was working through events and relationships and so on to get me to a point where I was selected and then elected in Salisbury. Wonderful. And you were elected for MP in 2010 and again uh, in, in uh, 2017, earlier this year. What, tell me, what does uh, a day or, or a week in the life of an MP look like? Well, I think the first thing to say is it's incredibly varied. Uh, being a member of Parliament uh, is unusual job because you don't have a job description you don't have a fixed set of hours and you interpret it as you feel it's appropriate to interpret it in the context of the electorate that has put you there and if you forget that bit then you lose sight of you know what it's all about 
but the role is really divided into two halves one's work as a minister and then one's work as a constituency MP for me at the moment and if I, before I was a minister earlier this year then uh, work in Westminster in all its forms that would be work on select committee I've been on two select committees I was a parliamentary private secretary so that means helping being eyes and ears for a minister but in a constituency you know it is about um, working with people to solve problems and I have surgeries each week rather like a, a doctor would in terms of people coming in for 10 minute 15 minute slots and actually talking through the challenges that they're facing in their lives be it benefit access access to benefits housing or other problems where the interface with various agencies of government has gone wrong I have a team of um, four people um, two full-time to part-time who support me in that and help me with letters and help you know really chase up for people and then I also spend time listening to business people um, trying to move forward big projects and where government support is needed I lobby government ministers to try and make sure the decisions go the right way I mean where there's private investment I meet the businesses involved and basically try and you know, fight for the constituency and all the different elements that you would imagine exist in any part of the country. But I'm driven by the inherent interests of that constituency and what people bring to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I, I know that you're voted or, or um, as the MP, either number one or number two in the country for an MP well, who, who's best to get back to, to people. And I know that when I when we were setting this up and I and I emailed your office I think I got an answer probably within about half an hour mm. which is well incredible. I mean I think all MPs or the vast majority of MPs in my experience across different parties too and work hard they've committed to public service and um, there have been various surveys over time where I've been seen as a, a, one of the most responsive MPs but I mean some of the, a lot of the credit really for that has to be go down to my staff who work very hard for me I've had two in particular who've been with me from near the start and their level of empathy uh, and concern and the way that they work for the cons my constituents um, you know, is just phenomenal. So all credit to them. But, but you know, it is a pleasure. I mean, it's a great privilege. It really is. It's, that's not a cliche. It is a privilege to be a member of Parliament. And, um, you know, but people expect you to deliver, and that's what we try and do. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, how does your, how does your faith as a, as, a, as a Christian and your knowledge of, of the Bible shape how you carry out your function as an MP? Well, <clears throat> as a Christian, um, I think that covers all your perspectives. You know, it doesn't mean that you're always right. It doesn't mean that you are morally superior. It doesn't mean that you have some inherent uh, special answer to lots of things. But it is the sort of driver for the way that you approach conversations with people, the way that you approach your um, you know, life in its fullest extent so uh, but I fully appreciate despite the fact there being, appears to be for me a lot of churches lots of Christians in my constituency that the vast majority of people don't have faith or have a, are on a different point on the journey that I'm at and you know my job is not to ram things down their throat I'm not paid to be an evangelist or to be a bible teacher I'm there to represent people and I represent people if they're you know, atheists, agnostics, Muslims, Sikhs, Hindus, and any other um, religion. And so I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding in Christian circles that somehow if you're a Christian, well, you know, you are duty-bound to, you know, put your personal views. Now, of course, 
where there are issues of free votes and conscience, then obviously my faith does influence me. But I'm always trying to balance my commitment to the constituency as a whole. Um, and, you know, very rarely do, is there a sort of a direct conflict. I mean, there have been votes that have been very, very contentious. But, you know, I've done it on the basis of trying to think what's right for the constituency based on the sort of feedback and the emails I get. But, you know, I, I, I say to everyone that being a Christian does not mean you have a no monopoly on the truth. And I try and work collaboratively both with local people who I know don't support me in, in, in party political terms to do the right thing by the constituency. And, and that's really what public service is about. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Um, now here's a here's a um, I don't know if it's going to be a contentious question or not. But what place does um, does the Christian faith and, and the Bible have in politics today? Would you say? Well, I think it's evolved over time. I think perhaps you go back fifty years and you know, the Church of England, the established church, had a much bigger role in a lot more people's weekly regime. That exposure to Christianity in some form did I think inform the public discourse and the prominence of churchmen in public life and was was higher I think though you know I'm not pessimistic I think Christians have a variety of roles in lots of communities and I think about in this constituency the way that Christians are in the lead in terms of the outreach work uh, the social impact that they have I think of charities like Rise 61 um, uh, the work that, that the individuals do uh, that makes a difference outside of, outside of state agencies and very often you find that they're motivated by the Christian faith but clearly in our national life uh, the obvious demonstration of Christian ethics and motivations is rather more subtle and less pronounced but I think that we um, you shouldn't be concerned about that at the end of the day um, it's about the quality of the the input from those that are Christians and and also I think Christians can have a massive impact in lots of ways across so many parts of our society and I, I always am keen to make the point that Christians in politics are you know, just one way to serve. And a great friend of mine, Andrew Salou, said about 15 years ago, a very simple phrase, there are many ways to serve. And I think that that's really important that we observe that with respect to, um, you know, the way we can get involved in life. You know, being a Christian in politics isn't, in politics, it doesn't give you more license or, in, or, or importance than any other role. Yeah, yeah. And you're, you're a member of the Conservative Christian Fellowship, I understand. Mm. Tell, tell us about that. Well, this was an organisation that was set up, I think, about 28 years ago by David Burrows, who was an MP for 12 years until, sadly, he lost his seat this year, and a great friend and Salisbury constituent, Tim Montgomery, when they were at Exeter University. It was designed to find a fellowship for Christians in the Conservative Party. And it has had various emphases over the years, but it essentially seeks to encourage people to get involved in in politics, Christians to get involved in politics in the Conservative Party and offers support networks, prayer meetings and you know, forum where they can meet, meet up. So I've been involved in that for over 20 years. I was the chairman, parliamentary chairman for a couple of years but had to step back when I took up my appointment as a, a junior minister in June this year. 
but uh, I think it provides, I think, uh, a, a, a pool of like-minded people in terms of sharing Christian faith and some encouragement and fellowship for people who you know, are exploring how to apply their faith to some interest or calling to politics. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen one of our councillors, Mary Douglas in Salisbury, she's been involved. Um, Dr. Mark McClelland, who's a city councillor in Salisbury, works for me now as well. You know, he's been involved. And I think it's seen as a, you know, a sound place for, for people, for Christians, to get some bearings in, in how to tackle or to approach a career in politics. Yeah. I mean, are there, are there um, just are there Christian, uh, are there um, prayer meetings that go on in Parliament? Uh, I mean, mm. what is the... Um, because I, I don't know that people would necessarily yeah, so know that. Yeah, no, we do have monthly prayer meetings. We also have gatherings at party conferences. We have an impact course for young people up to the age, well, I don't think there's an age limit, but younger graduates or, or not, but people are up to perhaps the age of 30 typically, um, to go away for weekends and to you know, do some training in politics, in ethics, and where they might serve. And you know, a number of the people that have been involved in those fellowships have gone on to become members of parliament. My yeah. friend Fiona Bruce, for example, Jeremy Lefroy, Andrew Salou, um, you know, just to name a few. Wonderful. Now, in, in uh, back in 2013, you mm. donated blood stem cells, mm. uh, enabling another person to have a second chance of life. I mean, what a wonderful illustration of what Jesus has done for us. Mm. Why, why did you do that? Well, to be honest with you, I don't want to claim any special credit for this, Nigel. I mean, it's, it's, I, I did a swab randomly when there was an outreach event in Parliament. And a few months later, they contacted me and said they had a direct match um, for somebody who needed stem cell so of course I did it and I had to take several injections over three or four days and then I um, had to spend the best part of a day really on a it was a bit like a dialysis machine that was taking blood out of one arm and whizzing it round and taking stuff out of it and then putting it back in or I don't really understand but anyway I felt a bit bit tired for a few hours <laughs> but this allowed this individual who I don't know who it was I just know it was a woman and I know her weight bizarrely but I don't know anything else about her to have the chance of of you know of some treatment so you know I think anyone regardless of their Christian faith would have done that it was just quite random and statistically quite uh you know unlikely to have happened it was quite good because I could get the local paper to say MP saves lives just before an election. <laughs> and I did get the biggest majority of the three I'd fought in 2015. So <laughs> it was quite useful from that point of view. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm now, joking. Now, you, you, have, you have many interests and hobbies, uh, both within politics, um, defence, foreign affairs, many mm. other things, and also outside politics. Um, one of the things I know that uh, you're really keen and interested in is youth, mm. young people. Uh, why is that particularly? Why, mm. why, why is your interest in youth so strong? Well, I think you know, coming into politics relatively young, I feel an old man now at forty-three. But uh, you know, I'm just conscious of sometimes the disconnect between young people and politics, and also I'm aware of my own life experience, coming from a background where my mother was a hairdresser and my father grew pot plants. That education is quite transformative. So. Therefore, I'm focused on the experience that young people have of growing up and the opportunities that they have and seeking to maximise those. Because actually, if you have a great home life and a great education, you can achieve great things. And obviously, sadly, many people 
don't have those opportunities for whatever reason. They don't get the encouragement at home. They don't get the opportunity through the provision of education. And so, you know, I'm always interested in doing things that can either improve the quality of the education offer, and that means, you know, trying to secure money for investment and improvement of our uh, educational provision in the constituency, but also work with charities who, you know, the, the, the bridge in Salisbury that does this work, we're mentoring young people in different contexts in schools, and Rise 61, who gets alongside people uh, in our um, more... Uh, needy areas, uh, people that perhaps don't have the support around them that they might otherwise have. These sorts of initiatives are great because they help young people realise their potential and education and support for young people is about realising potential. I think we've got as Christians to have an optimistic view that everyone can be sort of turned around from difficult starting points in life and I think the other experience of being a Member of Parliament for seven and a half years now is that you do realise that some people are just starting from a different context, a different point. The, the, the influences on their lives and the experience they have in the home makes it very difficult for them to you know, have a clear, optimistic view of the future. Um, my job as an MP is to try and help deliver services and interventions that can allow everyone to have fulfilment of their potential. Yeah. Well, that is fantastic. I think that really is wonderful. And uh, I'm sure they value your input, those charities, those local charities here in Salisbury. Mm. Um, one of the struggles that you've, you've mentioned to me mm. in your life is how to be faithful to your calling when you have so many pulls on your time. Mm. So, simple question. Um, you may have answered it to some extent. What is your calling and how do you prioritise your time? Well... I think my calling is to public service and to be, obviously I've been put here as the Member of Parliament for Salisbury, so primarily it's the 68,300 and whatever it is people, who adults who I'm called to represent. But um, in terms of the issues I focus on, some of that's determined by the roles I perform, so I've been a PPS, I've been on the Defence Committee, I'm now a Minister, so my ministerial slot really, I, I only can speak on that slot now in Westminster. Um, and then in the constituency, continuing to be an advocate for constituents and for good causes and for the for the investment and interventions needed. And it's always a challenge to get that balance right, whilst also you know trying to you know honour one's my mother and my family obligations to my wife and 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 so on. So you know the, it's always a balancing act. I think I reconcile that with you know a lot of thought and prayer and sometimes i get it wrong but you know it is i think it's a bit like there are so many things you can do as a member of parliament if i wasn't a minister i'd be able to take up causes more freely but as a minister i can you know make decisions that hopefully in the good of the sectors that i've been asked to serve so you know i'm very um uh clear that there's no one way of being an mp there would be some people who'd rather I was more outspoken. There's some people that I w- wish I would, you know, just do constituency work. But I think it evolves over time as well. My predecessor, uh, Robert Key, did 27 years. And, you know, I think he did a number of roles during that time. And I'll probably be the same if yeah. I'm given that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to move on to talk about um, uh, the Bible. Obviously, yeah. as a ministry, that's what we're seeking to help sure. people do, to, to engage with the Bible, to study mm. it. Um 
how would you describe your attitude to and your understanding of God's word um, and how important is the Bible to you? Well I think the Bible is the is the manual the roadmap for Christians but increasingly as the years have passed I've become keener to understand what it really means and I think that when I was a young Christian there were certain cultural overlays on the teaching that I was given and things were sometimes simplified and I think the more I've been involved in well both my work as a member of parliament but also in my just just life experiences accumulated over the years the more I've seen that the bible um, needs careful thoughtful interpretation into difficult circumstances so I still hold to the view that it's you know the primary arbiter of our uh, you know guidance art that God has given us, but you know it needs intelligent interpretation. So um, you know the Bible is very important. I read it regularly. I try and you know apply verses sensitively and thoughtfully into the situations that I find myself in. Mm. But you know I I just think sometimes. W- I'm, I sometimes despair at the way some Christians use the Bible in a way which doesn't, I think, reflect the true meaning. And of course, the easiest rejoinder to that is, well, who are you to arbitrate on the true meaning? And of course, I'm not. But I am trying to say, look, let's try and look at it carefully, look at passages in context, what the meaning was then, how we apply it to it. So... So that careful application of biblical truth to our lives, you know, is is more and more important to me. And I, I so uh, I hope that conveys what I, I what I, I mean. I mean, you 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 pretty much describe what we're seeking to do as a ministry. Actually, mm. exactly that to to come to it, um, to really understand it in mm. its context. And, mm. and one of the things that we teach very clearly is is the importance of context because mm. you can take verses. And you can immediately think it means X or Y. And in fact, it was never meant to mean that That's because right. you're not reading it in the context uh, for which it was yeah. uh, it was put. And I think I absolutely agree with what you're saying there. And so some of the some of the skills, some of the tools that we're helping to teach people is to do exactly what you're talking mm. about. So they're not taken out of context. And actually, um, I think you're right. I think, I think there are um, different aspects of... Um, Christianity in this country where that does happen and it, it actually turns people off mm. and uh, turns people away from even investigating who Jesus was and why he came yeah um, so I think well and I think that you know the Bible is until you've made that commitment of faith you know you won't see see it to be meaningful and I think sometimes we got to get this balance in how we project what we believe as Christians uh, between the the loving God and the judging God, and I think sometimes Christians can be too quick to observe that second dimension of God's character, and not um, allow people to come to know Him uh, through Jesus in a way that is, you know, in itself transforming, and that opens our eyes, uh, and the Holy Spirit helps us to really see and uh, uh, encourage us in our, uh, to deepen our belief. But being a Christian doesn't mean we have all the answers to life's problems, and I see that more and more. So, you know, I don't think you ever get to a point as a Christian where you've got it all sorted. 
and uh, you know somebody who used to read the Bible with me 20 years ago said whoever told you that being a Christian gave you an easy life it certainly doesn't but I think it gives you a deeper sense of meaning and a sense of direction uh, despite the enormous adversities that we can we can experience yeah absolutely um, do you have a favorite Bible book or character that you're drawn to I know you I know you've got a favorite Bible verse but is there a particular I mean there are lots of you know there's David and Gal- not Goliath but David or Nehemiah or Joshua mm. or Paul or well, I, I, I always find this a very difficult question to ask, and I think it evolves over time. I think depending on the sort of life experience that we're having at the time. I think, you know, I, I always cite Romans eight twenty eight, um, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Because sometimes it's difficult to see that. And it's good to be reminded of that in, in, in the Bible. But sometimes, you know, you, you feel a long way from God. You feel like he's not there. You feel frustrated. You feel angry. You feel bewildered by life's events and your experience. So some of the Psalms, in Psalm 88, obviously gives us a sense of, of, of um, empathy with that desperate nature of life's experience sometimes. And, you know, I'm not sort of buzzing along in a great, you know, well of... Um, charismatic Christian Christian sort of warmth all the time by any means there are times when you feel you have doubts about you know the, the God's faithfulness and I think we need to be real and honest about that sometimes um, because that is testament to the reality of the human condition uh, in the world that we live in and so I find the great solace in reading the Psalms sometimes you know, the, you can't go f- far wrong with just reading one of the Gospels from start to finish to understand that Jesus was real, that he wasn't can't be sort of broken down into a nice historical figure. And if he was, which obviously I believe he he was, who he says he was, then engaging with him and what he the messages he conveyed during his short short ministry uh, on Earth, you know, is really really important, and we can do that through as I've said, through sensitive reading of the Bible in different contexts. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, How can we pray for you? Uh, Obviously, you're in a very public position and you're serving many people. Um, It would be great to be able to pray for you. And when this podcast is broadcast, uh, uh, hopefully many other people will join us Mm. in that for you. Well, that's very kind. I think what I'd always ask for prayer for is, you know, continued uh, faithfulness to my calling, um, to the various roles that I've been asked to take on. I think for wisdom in how to deal with difficult circumstances in family life at times and you know, looking after my widest family interests and you know, mindful of my father's passing, you know, looking after my mother is really important to me and, um, and you know, being a, a support to my nephews and who you know, obviously miss their grandfather. But also just, I think, having patience to trust God's pathway. I think danger is in politics, as a Christian in politics, that you're always susceptible to take on the the world's view, which is, you know, the only way is up. You know, what uh, ambition is good to be ambitious for, for, for God's influence in your life. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to move up the ranks. And 
you know, just having a sense of service and retaining a sense of humility about your own role. And also, I think sometimes being able to listen a little bit more. I mean, you know, it can be very tiring. And sometimes you get back to the constituency on a Friday and, you know, you, you don't always have the patience you wish you would have with some of the things. And, you know, so to pray that I would you know, be faithful in the fullest sense to the sort of character and qualities that I would aspire to espouse and to, to um, evidence in my life. We will, we will certainly be praying. John, I want to thank you so much for coming on the programme no today. Thank you so much for the tremendous work you're doing for so many people in this constituency. And may the Lord um, bless the work that you're doing, mm. um, both here, but also in a wider context um, in the roles that you are doing and may be doing in the future. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, Nigel. Thanks for the opportunity to talk with you today. You have been listening to The Bible and Me podcast by Preset Ministries UK. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the subscribe button now and consider leaving us a rating or review. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry or make a donation, visit www.precept.org.uk or follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at Preset Min UK.